the 27th, so here's our quick visit to Proverbs chapter 27. I picked verse 17. It's one of my favorites. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I have been sharpened by my friends from time to time, and it's a good thing. So, okay, here's the picture. I want you to kind of start out and imagine, just picture this scene. You've got this nice, warm, cozy study, and there's an overstuffed chair and maybe a table and a lamp next to it and a person sitting in the chair with a, a smile and sensitivity and a notepad and a pen and a, you know, a, a lounge next to it, and one of the disciples is laying there spilling his heart to this counselor. Um, just he's been terrified. He was out in the middle of the sea, And the storm was going, and the waves were going, and even though Jesus was in the back of the boat, they were for sure they were going to die, and this guy's terrified, and he's sharing all this stuff with Jesus. And when they finally get him to wake up, he says, you know, why are you guys so afraid? And now this guy is just traumatized. I mean, I I don't know about you, um, but typically in counseling sessions, this counselor doesn't have the answers for this guy. Instead, he asks some questions. Just ask some questions. You know, people come for counseling. Sometimes they want to be counseled about this and that. And they typically will show up and they want to fix something. Or they, they, they want the, the problem or the pain or the discomfort to somehow stop. And they're looking for, for that. And, and, and sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, hey, could you help us work out this issue? And what that usually means is, would you tell this person to change, please? <laughs> Would you make them change, or would you, um, you know, help me understand what's going on here because it just doesn't work? And almost always, people that show up um, for counseling, which, um, you know, I'm not like a professional counselor, but almost always, people who show up for counseling, they want answers. They want answers. And I've been there too. There was a time several decades ago. I can't believe I'm that old. Several decades ago, where our marriage was really in trouble, and so we um, we contacted someone who was a, a solid Christian that would counsel our marriage. And I remember meeting with this this guy, this couple, and I wanted answers and I wanted solutions. And what I got from them was questions. They would just ask question after question after question, and it was frustrating. I'm thinking, hey, that's not why we're here. I came to get answers from you, not more questions. Um, but I learned over time, and I learned at that time, that the best way to find the truth is often on the other side of a good question. And, um, you know, I, I think at times, if I was really honest in my answers to those questions, if I was really, really going to be truly honest with myself and with him, it was, it was interesting to find that... that the answers to those questions would often be the trigger to the start of healing in my life. They would help me see something about my character or something about um, a flaw that, that really was in me that needed to be dealt with, and that was the beginning of something and helped me find an answer. Well, here's an interesting observation. If you happen to be a student of the Word, and I hope you are, and you should be, because we believe this is the Word of God and, and we rest in it. If you look at it, just, um, just a casual read of the Gospels, you'll find out that Jesus asked a lot of questions. In fact, there are over a hundred recorded questions in the Gospels alone where Jesus asks questions of people. You know, they would come to him, and I, I, I find that, first off, I find that interesting in itself, that, you know, Jesus, God, would need information from other people. I don't think that was behind the questions. I mean, come on. He didn't need, he didn't ask the questions to find out information. I don't think. There's other reasons 
why he would ask those questions. So in, in this next few weeks, what I want to do is um, I've taken a look at that, and I've picked four um, of, I think, the Jesus' most profound questions, and we're going to take a look at those questions because I think he's asking us those things. We're going to let him ask us those questions and let him be our counselor with a big C. So today, today's, um, just to give you an idea of where we're going, today um, is going to be the first one. And for people who are in a trial, you're, there's a storm going on in your life. We're going to see Jesus ask the question, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? So next week, we'll talk about for people who maybe you have a need in your life where you need a miracle, you need a touch from God, something you can't accomplish by yourself. And we're going to see Jesus ask the question, do you believe I can do this? Do you believe I can do this? The, week, uh, the third week of the series, we're going to talk to people who maybe you struggle with something that's an ongoing challenge in your life. You know, a habit that you can't break. A physical problem that you can't overcome. Um, some recurring sin that you just can't seem to get on top of. And Jesus asks this question. He says, do you want to be well? That's one of Jesus' toughest questions. And then the fourth week which I think is one of the largest challenges in the church today. I don't mean this church, but I mean the church at large, is uh, for people who have spiritual doubts, who really have spiritual doubts, Jesus asks the question, why do you doubt? So the context for today is, um, is there's this boat, and Jesus has got inside the boat, and it's probably pulled up to shore, and he's teaching from this boat. Uh, so picture this fishing boat that's pulled up to shore, Fishing boats there were probably, I would say, 20 feet long, maybe 25 feet long, maybe 15 feet long. So somewhere in that range, open boat. Don't picture a cruise liner or a yacht. This is an open boat that could be rowed, and it had a, they could stick a pole in the center and, you know, a mast. It's called a mastery, not a pole. A pole is not what you fish with. That's a rod. Um, anyway, so to keep our words straight here, there's a mast. And you could put a little sail on it. You could row it. It's not a very big boat. He's probably pulled up to the shore on the Sea of Galilee, and he's standing in the boat, probably because he could stand up on the bench or something and people could see him. I'm not sure why, but, and people are gathered around, he's teaching. And this is going along, on for a while, and he says, hey guys, to his disciples, hey, let's, let's cross the lake, let's go across. And um, so this, this boat, which has been his pulpit, is now going to become the point of his, this object lesson. So we're in Mark 4, starting in um, verse 35, and here are the words, are up on the wall for you. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Now, I don't know if you have ever been in a situation where you were in a boat and you really believed it was going to sink. That's pretty rare. It's never happened to me before. I have one time, though, been on an airplane where I really thought it was a good chance the plane was going to crash. And um, I was landing in St. Louis one time, and it was tornado season, and it was dark in the middle of the day, and it was, it was, the plane was bumping and thumping, and, and um, you know, it was scary. It was scary. And... Um, you know how a plane will get dead silent. <laughs> I think everybody in that plane was thinking the same thing but me, but probably not the pilot. You know, That's when you look at the stewardess and you think, is there terror on their face? Because if there's terror on their face, then I better pray more. Um, you know, but usually the stewards and stewardess, I think they're trained to act like everything's good no matter what. But we'll never know. Anyway, so that's a rabbit trail. Let's not go down that. These guys think this boat is going to the bottom with them in it. They're scared. 
verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Now, this is not, he's in the cabin, and there's elevator music playing through some Bose speakers. This is him on the bench in the back. If the waves are coming over the boat, I don't know how he's sleeping through this. I figure he's drenched by now. It's got to be nasty wet, but he's asleep on a cushion. Middle of the storm, our Savior is doing just fine. It's not the first storm in his life, nor the last, um, and he's just fine. So the disciples wake him up, and they say to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? This is the first place we go. This is the first thing we think. We're in a storm. The first thing we think is, God, don't you care about me? You don't love me. I'm in a storm. That's the first. So they go right there too, just like I would, just like you would. Verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, quiet, be still. I don't know how he said it. Quiet, be still. Or he said, hey, that's it. Okay, I don't know what he did. Must have been cool. I want to see the tapes on that. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Okay, waves and fury and wind and flat, flat lake. Now, if they're depending on that sail, they're in trouble. I guess it's nap time still or something. I'm not quite sure. Verse 40, he said to the disciples, and here's the question. Why are you so afraid? That's not a condemning question. There's passion there. There's love there. There's a lesson there. There's a challenge there. Why? Why are you so afraid? He's like he's saying, you you have seen me doing things that were miraculous. And here you are freaking out. Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other. First they were terrified from the storm. And now they're terrified because there's no storm. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus asks, why are you so afraid? Now, they're in the Sea of Galilee. Here's a little bit about the Sea of Galilee. It's 700 feet. It's freshwater. It's 700 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by mountains that are a couple thousand feet high, so there's a huge difference. And uh, I'm no meteorologist, but I do know that there's a pressure difference between that. I mean, we can't really detect changes in air pressure very much, um, except you do if you're on an elevator that goes up fast, your ears pop. Or maybe if you're, you know, you go to Yellowstone and it's 8,000 feet, you might notice that when you're walking on the trails, you don't have quite as much energy because you just don't have enough. I mean, we'll sense that, but you don't feel it at, at, at sea level or below sea level like this. But the conditions for this, meteorologists say that because the mountains are there and and it's heated and then there's cool above the water, the convection, a storm can come up in this place out of nowhere without warning. It can be clear and and quickly in a matter of minutes, cloud up and boom, and you can have the waves. The, The Sea of Galilee is, it's fairly big. It's 13 miles by eight miles, so it's pretty big. Going across the lake here is not something you'd swim. It's eight miles across or maybe a narrower part, maybe five miles across. And so it's, it's, it's quite a ways across, but it's a shallow lake. Because it's shallow, one of the other characteristics is as the wind whips up the storm, the waves get bigger there. Like in the ocean, you've got a lot of depth there. It can absorb the energy. But a shallow lake, that energy is up on the top, bouncing around. So it's nasty. It's nasty. It can get really nasty there. And uh, this is a famous painting by Rembrandt of them. And it's kind of t- too bad that it's kind of dark, but down in the corner, you can see them. They're, they're in there, and Jesus is laying up going, what, what do you guys want? What's the problem here? And, you know, what's the problem? You know, and 
Uh, you know, so it's it's a pretty big deal. And so it, it's a beautiful place, and out of nowhere, a storm. And and that's kind of sometimes what happens in our lives. Things are sailing along, we're doing really well, and then out of nowhere, a storm can brew. You know, maybe, maybe you've just had the absolute best month of your career sales-wise and you have just you are doing really well and then you hear whispers and rumors that the company is struggling and they're going to be doing layoffs and because you're one of the last people hired you have the least amount of seniority you figure okay I'm losing my job and all of a sudden you're in this financial storm that you had not expected or your marriage is smooth sailing you're growing you're walking you're loving your friends things are going really well and then because of a once-a-year scheduled annual physical exam, your spouse goes, and there's this horrible news. And you think, not us, not me, not, I don't know how I'm going to get by. Or your child, your children are doing really well. They're, they're tracking, they're on the right, right way, and their, things are going well. And then you find out from some source, some truth that you didn't know about and your child is making bad decisions and there are these consequences and now everything's kind of about the problems with the child and you're in the middle of a storm and you know us church people are like the very best at hiding our storms you're really really good at it you are (laughs) we're really really good at it I mean some of you I mean you can look totally fine you've got a great smile on and everything looks really cool and calm on the surface but behind that smile can be a storm, and nobody knows. Nobody ever knows about it. And, and here's something else that envy messes with us sometimes, too. I mean, I hear people make comments sometimes, or even be jealous of other people, where they say, man, I wish I had that person's life, or I lived in that person's house, and they have no idea that the, that person's house, they're two months behind on their mortgage payment and about to lose the house to the bank, and that family is in a storm, a raging storm, and nobody even knows. Or they look at another marriage and say, I mean, I want my marriage to look like that one. And um, you have no idea that that marriage is just barely holding on by a thread. You can look good on the outside and nobody knows that you go to bed afraid or that you go to bed crying, heartbroken, hopeless. Or, you know, we can even get to the place where the weight of good things in our lives can press down and... It just weighs too much, and you keep, we say to ourselves, you know, I just can't run at this pace. And we put on a smile, and yet on the inside, there's this storm, and nobody knows about it. In the middle of something good, something comes upon us that we didn't see coming and would never have chosen. So today, in our story, as Jesus asks this really piercing question, I want to show you a couple of things to remember when you're in the storm, a couple of things for us to remember. First one is this. You're in the storm with his presence. You're in the storm with the presence of our good God. Verse 37 and 38 shows us, it says, A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Jesus was in the stern. He's in the boat. But here's what happens. This is what people think. If I'm with Jesus, there shouldn't be a storm. If I'm with Christ, my life should be smooth sailing from here on out. And that's just not true. 
In fact, Jesus said, you know, you will have trouble, but, but take heart. But take heart, he said, because I've overcome the world. He never ever promised that life would be easy or that life would be storm-free. There is no such promise. The reality is kind of the opposite. When you, when you make a decision to identify yourself with Christ, you move from a place of darkness in life to a place of light. And there is opposition that resides in the darkness. There is. There is an enemy to our souls, and there's a spiritual battle. Christianity is not a playground. It's more of a battleground. It really is more of a battleground. And there are forces of darkness that oppose forces of light. And I'm not going to go into that very much today. But when you step into the light, you should expect that darkness will be against you. I don't have to work hard to make that case. You face opposition and temptation, there's going to be some spiritual warfare. To think that because I'm with Jesus... Life should be storm-free is really, really just a distortion of the good news of the gospel. It's just a distortion of the gospel. Because God never promised you that just because Jesus is on your boat that there won't be a storm. He never promised you that the storm wouldn't rock you. He, he promises something different. He says he promises that the storm will not sink you. And that's an important distinction. It's an important one because God is for you. He's with you and that there is no storm that can take you out of the presence of God. And, and, you know, so Jesus is in the back of the boat. He's in the stern and every now and then, um, some of you at some point, you're going to be in the middle of a storm and and it could be really, really a bad storm, but people are going to come to you and they're going to look at you and they're going to say, how are you enduring this? How are you making your way through this? This is so hard. I mean, I had a friend, um, a very close friend, a very, very close friend of us, of ours, who we were, we were close enough that we took vacations together and time together, and um, they were about our age. And uh, one day, she gets this uh, news from a doctor that she had a tumor in her eye, and it was going to probably take her life. And in a short amount of time, a very close friend of ours was gone. And I watched her husband this friend of mine, this close friend, walk <laughs> through this territory that I can't even imagine being on it, let alone coming through it with the kind of grace and faith, albeit in the middle of heartache. There was never, his, I, I never saw his, his knees doing this. I never saw a wavering of his faith or his trust in God, although he was brokenhearted and his children were brokenhearted. I never saw that. And, you know, I wanted to say to him, how come your world is falling apart, but you're not falling apart? I knew the answer. How come everything around you is falling apart, but you still have this quiet confidence and this peace, this deep assurance in the middle of the storm? And, and the reason is because I, and I knew he would say this, is, is, and that you would be able to say this at some point. You would be able to say this. It's because I'm not alone. Jesus is with me in this. And his presence brings something that you can't imagine. It brings some, something of strength. It brings something of grace. It brings something of faith and of hope and of power because he's with me. Just because I'm in a storm doesn't mean that God's not with me. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. And I'm looking across this room and I'm very careful not to make eye contact intentionally with anybody. I don't preach to people. I preach, I just share the word of God with a crowd of people. So I, you know, if I happen to make eye contact with, but as I'm looking across the room, I know people in this room right now who are in raging storms. 
Don't let the presence of that storm convince you that God's not with you because he's there right there. And, you know, I think it's, there's lots of scriptures. I think it's a healthy thing and it's a good thing for us to personalize scripture. There's, you know, God is my refuge. God is my strength. He is my ever-present help in a time of trouble. My God will never leave me and forsake me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because my God is with me. He never promised you the storm wouldn't rock you. He promised the storm wouldn't sink you. I'm not ever alone in the middle of a storm. And I pray that anybody in a storm today or when you are in a storm, that those words will comfort you, that God is with you. You're in the storm with his presence. Number two, you're in the storm for his purposes. You're in the storm with his presence and you're in the storm for his purposes. You know, I I was thinking about this. You know, Jesus says to these guys, let's go to the other side. Obviously, this trip was his plan, his idea. And obviously, because he is who he is, he, you know, he knows what they're facing towards. He's, he says, why is he taking him across the lake? Well, Jesus knows that there's a guy over there on the other side of the lake who's hurting himself because he's possessed with a demon, with devils. And so Jesus' plan is to go minister healing and help to this guy who needs it. How he knows that, I don't know, other than to say, Either somebody reported it to him or because he's God, he knew it. Don't care. You can pick your answer. But he's going over there specifically to help this guy. Now, he, he knows he's going to go face spiritual opposition. He also knows that between getting here and that spiritual opposition, there's a storm coming. That's going to be a storm. He's going to go through one to get there. I think Jesus knew these things, and his plan was to take these boys across the lake. Okay? So this trip is his idea. I think this through, and now they didn't know they were facing a storm. And when they do realize they're there, not, they're, they're just afraid. I mean, they're, 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 their eyesight is so, so narrow and so close up. They can't, haven't thought these things through, and I don't discredit them for it because I probably would have been doing the same thing. Jesus knew that, so I, I, I don't know. I think there was opposition coming, and yet whose idea was it to go out there? It was Jesus'. They were not in the storm because... They were out of the will of God. They were in the storm because they were in the will of God. God told them, come on, let's go. And he knew it. Now, some of you might, you know, hear these comments and maybe you'll get mad at me right now because you'll think, you know, okay, Terry, are you telling us that um, God caused the storm? Hmm. I'm not telling you that God caused the storm. Nor do I believe that any human being can know the answer to that question. Okay? Did God cause the storm? Or did God, through his sovereignty, allow the storm? You can blame God either way if you want. Go ahead. I mean, you can if you want. But I, to whether he actually caused the storm, I don't know. I think um, there's, there's not a lot of, lot of precedence in the word of God that would say anywhere that the enemy of our souls has authority over wind and weather. Um, the only reference I could find as I studied that out was in the book of Job, in Job chapter 1, where there's a conversation in, between Satan and God, and, and ultimately God gives Satan the authority to afflict Job, okay, for reasons that are there if you read the book. 
Um, and uh, Job gets through it. He does just fine. And in the story, though, there's a point where something called the, I think it's called, I can't remember the wording. Um, first, it's in the first chapter of Job where I think they call it the light of God, which is what they called lightning. Okay? So that was obviously something that was caused by Satan, lightning, that struck and burned crops and sheep and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but other than that, I can't find anywhere that Satan had authority over weather. But at that point, he was given authority. So what happened in this lake? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anybody can know. No one can say for certain whether God caused it or whether he allowed it. But I can tell you one thing for certain about the storm. God uses a storm to do a work inside of us. He does. When you're in a storm, there is something there that God wants to accomplish. It's not because you've been bad. He's not trying to punish you and get even with you. It's not like, I hate that when insurance company call, calls a tornado an act of God. God does not twirl his fingers and go, hey, watch this, and create a whirlwind and blow up people's lives. That is not the God of the Bible. That's the God of Hollywood, and that's the God that, that hell wants to paint for people, but it is not who God is. But there's a storm. If there's going to be one, God's going to use that somehow to our effect, to our positive effect. And I believe that's why James who was the brother of Jesus, could say this in James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You know, when I hear that, I get it. Even though I've been a Christian for a while and I know a little bit about the Word of God, it kind of drives me nuts to hear that <laughs> verse. I mean, I love the verse, but at the same time, there's just something in me that says, come on, that's, I don't want to do this, you know, this kind of phony, good ship lollipop approach a life. You know, there's no floor underneath me and I still got a lollipop in my hand. No, I, I, that's what it feels like to me. But, that's, but there's something authentic here about James saying, you know what? God has things under control here. He goes on, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith, I'm going to stop again for a second, because some of you, right this moment, you're in the middle of a test. Why do teachers test us? The reason is really so that they can approve and get us and promote us to the next level. That's really what's behind most tests, I think, to get us to the next level. Saying God, in his love, you know, he may be allowing you to experience something, even testing your faith, and he wants to promote you to another level. I think that's what's behind it. Anyway, okay, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, James says, verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I know there have been times that, you know, I've had my own personal storms, and all I really wanted was to get out the other side. The older I get, and I hope I'm getting more mature over time I get, now I want to find out what's, what it is that the Lord wants to shape in my character now. Because I'd rather do it in this storm then in the next storm, if you get my thinking, why go through four storms to learn something? If you can learn it in the first storm, um, just which is not, an, I didn't learn that the first time. I had to kind of, you know, anyway, that's just me and my thick head sometimes. And I, I would say here at Crossroads Church, we have a real mix of, of, of spiritual maturity and as far as Christianity. Some, we've got people in this room who have been Christians for decades. You're very mature and and, um, and we've also got some people who are very, very young in their faith. They don't know a whole lot about the Word of God. You're learning it, and I commend you for that. 
And it doesn't matter whether you're really mature or you're just really um, you know, a, a, a baby in the faith. God has some maturing for you, for every one of us. He has some for every one of us. And how does God mature us? How does he build us up and build our character? Well, I think he does it several ways. Um, one is as we get to know his word, he will mature us and, and he'll renew our minds. Another one is that you know, we will discover our personal gifts, our, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, that's really the cool thing is you discover your, per, your, your, your spiritual gift. And I don't want to go into that now. It's a huge rabbit trail. It's a whole series to teach on. Um, but when you exercise that spiritual gift and you see it bless somebody else's life, it does something big in you and you become more mature. Um, last week, I'll give you a, one brief example, and I don't want to name any names, but um, a brother in the church I talked with during this week um, who's sensitive and, and occasionally will hear something prophetic from the Lord, which doesn't mean predicting the future. It's to edify and build up and comfort. The Lord gave him something prophetic to um, one, of the, one of the people here, and he went to him and he gave it to her, and it was one word. And um, he said, he doesn't really know her all that well. He just said, I really feel the Lord has given you this. So he gave her the word. Well, here's the connection for you. If you wind the clock back here about six or seven weeks ago in the series, I was saying, we need to find a word. The Lord will give you a single, just ask the Lord for a single word. And this faithful daughter of the king did that. And the word the Lord gave her was the same one. Now, how would this guy have known? I mean, this, and, and so hearing that and seeing that, that's, the, that's another way that the Lord matures, is that as your spiritual gift, as you release it and you bless people and you see God really doing something in people's lives and it's supernatural, you'll mature through that. Another one is that we go through certain storms in life. We go through certain storms and God does something in those storms. And for some of us, the difference of where we are now and where God ultimately wants to take us is in the storm that we have yet to endure. Now, maybe you know somebody who is absolutely rock solid in their faith, in their walk with the Lord. I promise you this, they've been through storms. Every Christian here who's been walking with the Lord, and you, you know, they're all going, yeah, yep, yep, been there. I mean, they've been through those storms. The point was they went through those storms with Jesus. They know his presence. They know his faithfulness. They know that there's a purpose in every single storm. He's often doing something in us or teaching us something that sometimes we couldn't learn in any other way than to go through a storm. Did he create it or did he allow it? I don't know but I know that he uses it. And, and a mature Christian will respond to a storm kind of like this. You know, Their faith of not sinking to the bottom isn't in the boat. It's not even in hoping that the weather calms down. And it's not in their skills as a sailor. Their faith is in the one that's with them in the boat. It's in Jesus. And these disciples in the boat hadn't gotten there yet. So we get them before they've grown to that point of maturity. See, several of you are more mature than the disciples were at this point. That's kind of cool. There's some people in here more mature than these disciples at this point. I think that's pretty cool. And what does Jesus do? I love this. In verse 39, he gets up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. 
Man, that must have been something to see. I'd like to have seen that. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Don't you remember me healing the blind, opening up deaf ears? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now here's what we can't miss in this whole story. We're pretty much done and we're going to pray. This is the cool part to me. You, they're calling him, what do they call him here? His teacher, teacher, teacher. But later on in the scriptures, they start calling him Lord. They stopped calling him teacher, which is a venerable title. Teachers today need to be venerated. It's a venerable, I mean, it's good. But they stopped calling him that and started calling him Lord. There's a whole new level there of respect and awe and worship. What happened? Why? Why that change? I really believe that their fear of the storm over time translated and grew into an awesome fear and love of God. Their fear of what was going to happen to them in these circumstances over time translated into this reverential awe, faith-filled trust in the outcome of the results of a loving God in their life. Teacher, teacher, Lord. They knew he was Lord over their storm. And some of you right now, you're in a storm. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you this question. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Have you forgotten that you're in the storm in the presence of the king? He's with you. He's for you. He promised that all things will work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. He promised. You're in the storm with his presence. You're in the storm for his purposes. Why are you afraid? And as you get to know him and as he matures you, as you grow through some storms, and as you endure some storms with him, your default, I'm afraid I'm going to die. Your default is going to shift from that to becoming, my hope isn't in circumstances and in boats. These circumstances are going to come and go. My soul is anchored in the Lord, in the King. And that changes everything. He's with me. He's for me. He has a plan and a purpose for me. And he's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen? Amen? Why are you so afraid Jesus is with you in a storm? Let's pray. God, today... Um, oh, before I pray, wait a second. I'm sorry to do that. I, I do want to say that um, if you want someone to pray with you about your storm or for any reason, as soon as the service dismisses, there are several trusted people in the church that, um, that, that work in our prayer ministry. And they'll be hanging out either up here on this corner or over here. And you do not have to tell them about your storm or you can tell them about your storm. But if you want someone to pray with you and for you, they're available right after service. And I encourage you to do that. And prayer team, I encourage you to, to get yourself up there and pray with people. And, um, you know, if they're, uh, you know, so now let's pray. God, um, first and foremost, I want to thank you that you are with us and that there is, your word says that, that once we are in the palm of your hand, there is no one who can pluck us out of there. There is nowhere we can go. Psalm 139 says that no matter where we go, you are there. 
that, you're, that you know our thoughts. There is no place that we can separate from you. And I'm so grateful, God, that you are with us. And Lord, when you see the storm coming, and maybe even you lead us on a pathway and you know there will be a storm and a path, I'm thankful, Lord, that it's because your plan is to grow us and to build us and to shape us into becoming more like you. God, I thank you for the fact that you don't ever abandon us and say, okay, well, I'm going to have to step back here. I'll see you on the other side of the storm. Or that you don't ever say those condemning words, well, this storm, um, you did this. Now, you made your bed, lie in it. Instead, you say, no, no, you're my son, my daughter. I love you. Stick close to me. We'll get out to the other side. We'll be okay. I know it hurts. Put your faith in me. I'll get you there from here. Lord, I pray that those words spoken right now by your spirit to certain hearts in this room would find fertile ground, God. That they would find a place that would become planted and it would be good soil so that hope can grow and fear can die. I pray, Lord, that hope would grow like an overwhelming jungle and choke out the weeds of hopelessness. Choke out the weeds of doubt. Choke out the lies that hell would whisper in the middle of the night. And instead, God, that you would remind us that it's this evening, but morning is coming. God, I'm thankful, so thankful today. I ask God for you to do healing work in us that we find ourselves too focused on the waves and not quite enough focused on the king. And Lord, I I think there probably are people in this room that are facing storms that are way more severe than anything I maybe even have talked about today. And I pray, Lord, for peace, for peace. I know people sometimes come to church, Lord, and in a a, a week-long storm, or all weeks, all week long, it's the storm rages, and they just come hoping for an hour and a half of peace, and that maybe today they may feel robbed of that peace because I talked about storms. Lord, I pray that supernatural peace would be theirs, the peace that goes beyond our understanding. Your word promises that if we, if we bring our needs to you, that if we pray and bring them before you, Lord, that you will work on our behalf and that you would give us something of peace that goes beyond our hearts and our minds, that you would guard our hearts with peace. I pray, Lord, that that would be the bounty of your kids in this room today for those that are hearing these words. And Lord, I want to pray too for people who maybe are in an eternity storm, I guess I would call it. They, they know they need to be right with God, but they haven't figured out how to do that. They haven't figured out what they can do to get right with you, how they should behave, Do they have to go to church or what do they do? But there's something in their soul that says, I really should get right with God. While the church is praying, I want to say to you that you can't do anything except receive the grace of God. Scripture says that everybody falls short of the glory of God. There is no way you can do it. But God loves you so much. Every single person, he loves you so much that he said, I've got to make a pathway. He did it for me. He did it for you. He said, I'm going to send my son who will walk the earth, face temptation, die after having lived a perfect life, and he will be a sacrificial lamb for you. He will pay the price of your sins. All you have to do is put your faith in me and say, yes, I know he did that for me and receive the gift that Jesus gives. The word of God says that all who believe and call on the name of Jesus will be saved. Call on the name of Jesus today. While we're praying, I'm just going to say that in a moment that Pastor Eric, who is our leading, has been leading us in worship, is also going to 
give you an opportunity in the next few moments to respond to the, the calling of the Holy Spirit is on your heart right now saying, come home, come home to the King and let me mind your eternity. So Lord, I thank you, thank you that your love is so matchless. And Father, we 